You are listening to Absent Minded, brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Hello and welcome to Absent Minded. We are back in the three of us today. Unfortunately, Anton Rasegård couldn't join us. The Fugitive has been on an epic journey through God's land of the Middle East in Israel. So uh, he hasn't been watching a lot of world junior hockey. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I'm joined by Jared Book, who's recovered from some serious illness. Somewhat recovered. (laughs) If if you hear me cough or uh, hear me uh, congested, that's why. But I feel better, at least. At least you're not in hospital. That's the important bit. Um, And obviously, um, Matt Drake, whose article just came out uh, where he graded the World Junior players from the Montreal Canadiens. Matt, good to have you on again. Good to be here. Those are those are the official grades, by the way. Everybody is uh, contractually obligated to agree with my grades, and any dissension from my grades will be met with fire and fury. Jared, I just resigned my my uh, host. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I guess Matt's doing the podcast alone then. All right. We're going to give Matt the option, though, to start. He's long triad. So about in 15 minutes time, if you want to hear the other grades, come back. But we're going to start with Joshua Roy. And I'm going to leave it to you. Matt. Joshua Roy. Yeah, I, I ranked him as an A+. Uh, I don't think there should be very much argument from anybody on that. Uh, what a tournament from him. I mean, he comes in, they start him out on the third line. And after that initial loss to Czechia, which kind of stunned everybody, uh, you know, Coach Williams, he decides to make a little bit of a change. And what does he do? Well, he bumps Joshua Roy up to the top line with Logan Stankoven and Connor Bedard. And then that line just took over the tournament. I mean, Canada, we, we talked about it a few times on, on the podcast, right? Uh, they were a bit of a one-trick pony throughout the course of the tournament, but it was a damn good trick. Uh, it, it was that top line with Bedard, Stankoven, and Roy. And <clears throat> surprisingly, you know, you would expect Roy to be a bit of a passenger on that line. There's a lot of talent. Um, and definitely in transition, he wasn't as impactful as he was in other areas of the ice. But defensively, and in the offensive zone, he was magnificent. And then the penalty kill, man. That shift that he had against the U.S. killing that penalty, where he spent about 30 seconds by himself dominating, um, unreal. I, I can't say enough about this kid's tournament. And the fact that we've actually seen development from him on some of the areas of his game that he really needed to work on. Like his skating looked significantly better than it did just back in the August tournament. Um, his physicality, he was really tenacious. He was really pushing the pace uh, along the walls and in the corners. Um, really, man, we, we, we saw development on aspects of his game that are very important for him to get to that next level. And on top of that, he just so happened to uh, be, what, fourth in tournament scoring um, and second on Canada, tied with Logan Stankov. And so amazing tournament from him. I think it's an A+. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to see what he does for the rest of this season in Sherbrooke. And I honestly believe this kid's going to push for a roster spot next year. I've been saying it for the last two years. Never doubt Le Sniper Beauceron, and he's proven me right. Don't doubt this kid now. He's going to push for a roster spot next year. It's going to be exciting to see him at camp. Yeah, there's there's really three things for me that stick out when I watch Joshua Roy at the World Juniors. The first one is it takes a really smart player to adapt to playing with guys like Stankoven and Bedard. And 
there's there's certain things that you have to do when you play with guys like that. One of them is to let them take the puck when when they want it, uh, and he did that. And the other thing is is putting yourself in positions to succeed, which he did throughout that. Like he. He, he wasn't obviously Bedard was the best player on that line. I'm not going to say anything different, but he wasn't the passenger. Like Matt said, he was someone that, that helped that line succeed. Uh, and, and I think that that was something that's surprising and it takes a smart player to know their strengths. And I think Connor Bedard even said that, that Wall was one of the smartest players he's, he's ever played with. So uh, if you don't believe me, believe Connor Bedard, um, so yeah, that was the first thing that stuck out. The second thing that stuck out for me is the fact that he's become such an all-around player. Like he played, he was one of the only Canadians to play on the penalty kill, the power play, uh, and even strength. If he can do that regularly, like if he can become a penalty killer, and there's no reason to believe why he can't after uh, his performance at the World Juniors. That opens up a whole different avenue of NHL possibilities for him, uh, and and opens up the door for um, different things he can do as a prospect uh, and as an NHL player. And the third thing is that he just steps up in big moments. Um, he had a great gold medal game in the last World Juniors, uh, the August tournament, uh, and then he steps up against the U.S. with a four-point performance, and then in the gold medal game in overtime he basically created that um, the, the game-winning goal with uh, a great play on a, on a two-on-one. So, I mean, those three things, and Matt mentioned the improvement in all the other areas of his game, the, the, he's really become a, a great player. And I think a lot of that, there was a lot of talk after he was drafted in the fifth round where he's like, oh, this is a wake-up call. Uh, I wanted, you know, I wanted to be traded, and you know, St. John wasn't a great place for me. And there's a lot, a lot of that is like, okay, sure, <laughs> right? Like, you you tend to not want to, you know, like, okay, sure, kid, like, you know, you're not the first player to go first overall in the in the queue and then drop to the fifth round in the NHL. But to his credit, he he really did turn it around, uh, and and has been outstanding since he was drafted, and and I think that that is. Um, you know, in hindsight, a, a great pick by the Canadians. And um, a lot of that credit goes to Hua himself because he's really turned around. And usually you see players in junior, and I talked about this with, with David St. Louis of, of Elite Prospects um, on the side. Usually, you know, when you see prospects, they improve what they're already good at. But Joshua Hua has added skill sets to his game. Um, yeah. and, and you don't usually see that. And and I think that that's something that that's very encouraging um, for him as a prospect, and and I'm really curious to see what happens when he goes pro next year. Whether you know there's a chance, obviously, depending on who still is around um, on the NHL roster, that there's going to be spots on the in the NHL. Um, there's also a chance that he starts in Laval, and um, it's going to be very interesting to see. But yeah, for me, um, great tournament for Hua, and and it really opened up my eyes to his NHL potential. Indeed, I have to agree. Um, Roy was the exclamation mark for me. Um, I expected him to do well. Uh, I didn't expect him to do this well. As Matt and, and Jared says, I, I also agree with the fact that he wasn't a passenger. In, in a way, he reminded me a little bit of Arturio Lekkonen in, SA, in SHL with Frelanda. He had to take that back seat and, and be... Um, 
taking a more defensive responsibility, not saying that he was over-reliant on his defensive ability to get that role, but he he could read the game, adjust to the game, and let the other two play their offense. And I think that was very, very important to see because that is a skill, as we know with archery, that translates very well to uh, to NHL level, also showcasing that he's very, very smart. Uh, Roger Runberg still says Arthur Lekon is one of the smartest players he has coached. And, and I think you can see similarities between those players. Skating wasn't as good when they came to their pro teams or, or second year after the draft, et cetera, et cetera. So, so yeah, I, I totally agree with Dua deserving all the plaudits, all the credit that, that he got. Um, I think that... Um, that it was important a, for for many Montreal fans to see as well. I think that's a good comparison to the Lekkonen one. Like I've seen a lot of people trying to make the Jonathan Drouin comparison. And I think a lot of that is, you know, we would try to compare the French Canadian guy to the French Canadian guy. But <laughs> did, did Jonathan uh, one, ever play lot, penalty kill? <laughs> yeah. Even in does, does he ever, <laughs> is that something you ever want to do? Um, Hua can't skate like Drouin. That's a fact. But Drouin, there's a lot of things that Hawaii can do that he can't do. Hawaii is far better defensively. I think he has a better shot. Um, we didn't even really get to see him use the shot all that much. Uh, his goals were created more in the World Juniors by him kind of getting to the right areas, like Jared mentioned, and having quick hands and tight. You know, you saw that goal that he scored, uh, what, against the U.S., where he just goes to the slot, uh, puck comes to him in the slot, quick hands, quick backhander, upstairs, goal, right? Um, but when you watch him in... in junior in uh, the QMJHL, you see a lot of his goals are created by shots, uh, you know, from the top of the circle, from the face-off dot, from the high slot. He's got a very good wrister. Um, so he's he's developed more versatility in his game. And Jared, you touched on him playing in all situations, which is not necessarily something that um, you people were expecting to see from him. You know, a, a year ago, that would have been almost impossible for him to even do. His conditioning was bad. Um, a lot of people have talked about, you know, when he was in St. John, he's a little bit overweight. Um, he wasn't taking his conditioning seriously. It, it was a bad situation for him. And one of the things that he worked on harder than anything over the course of the last year and a half was getting his conditioning up. And, you know, you saw it last year when he had his 119 point season in the QMJHL at the beginning of the year, at the end of every shift, he was on the bench, sucking wind, you know, hands on his hips on the way to the bench, like just dying of, of being tired from a 45 second shift. By the end of the year, at the end of his shifts, you saw him legging out icings. And now, you know, fast forward to the World Juniors, you're seeing him play all situations. So he's on the ice constantly for Canada. Didn't get a ton of power play time because he was on that second unit. And of course, you know, the top unit, you want Connor Bedard to be playing in the power play as much as humanly possible. But the, the fact that he's been able to develop that part uh, of his physicality, of his conditioning, that he's capable of playing that many minutes, that alone was a, a big uh, step forward for him. So it's, it's great to see. Yeah, and, and just one last thing on, on Juan for me and kind of touching on that stuff is that his floor has raised considerably for me. Um, because the, at first it's like, oh, if he, you know, if he doesn't play top six, what is, what is this future? Uh, and I think it's pretty clear that, that he doesn't have to be, you know, a top line winger. Uh, I think he can be uh, potentially, but, but he doesn't have to be. Um, there's a lot more options with him. Uh, so, and I think that he's, he, the, the, the way he plays in, in, uh, in Sherbrooke and the way he played for team Canada were so different 
that he can adapt to any situation. And I think that yeah. that's something that is going to be very important for him and, and very useful for him uh, as you go forward. And I, I think that, you know, you'll, we'll get to other players in this tournament as well, but, but I think that that's something that um, someone like Owen Beck has as well um, in terms of just adapting to the role that you're given and, and doing it well. And I think that that's, um, that's something that will help Joshua one. But for me, his floor is now much higher than it was a few months ago for me because I, I've seen so much improvement that I, I think that he is an NHL player in the future. Absolutely, in my mind. Indeed. I agree. And, and, and it's, a, um, it's that kind of evolution that you want to see from a prospect over a couple of years um, from, from the draft where where a team starts to invest in in coaching and invest in in uh, different other areas and and helping a player along you want to see that progress and and it's great to have seen that with Wa and it also showcases that you know just because some you picked in the fifth round doesn't mean that you're not going to be an NHLer yeah he's lowest uh, uh, lowest drafted player on team canada and he ended up being on the first yeah. line with Connor Bedard and Logan Stankoven. And well, uh, obviously, since this... he was the lowest. He needed to be on the top line because he would make a fool out of himself on the other side. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Only joking. This Only joking. To, this speaks to that draft too. You know, yeah. like there, there's a couple of drafts there where the the COVID drafts where you know scouting was not ideal, and he kind of fell into that situation because he played on two different teams in his draft year as well well because of the trade and everything where not only was the scouting limited but also <laughs> you, you you had two different samples of him from two different organizations it's hard to get a read on some of those players i think there's going to be a lot of guys from those drafts that were drafted later than they should have been uh that are going to end up impressing in the nhl um it, I, it's, it, it's going to be something to to revisit those drafts you know five six years down the road and and kind of redo them and say where would you have put these guys and Hawaii also something I tweeted out the other day, if he was born a month later, he would have been in the 2022 draft with Slavkovsky and Wright and everything. Imagine where do you think he would have gone if he scored 119 points in his draft season? And then he goes in that 2022 draft. He's a first rounder for sure. I don't know where in the first round, but I think it's hard to argue that he'd be anything other than a first rounder. And he's only, he was only a month away from being eligible for that draft instead of the one where he got picked in the fifth round. It, it also comes down to a trade in your draft year. Asking for a trade is uh, is an increment of that something is wrong. Uh, we see yeah. it with Europeans all the time. They fall because they have uh, cho- gone to another team. And I think you know you need to con- this need to be considered and understood as well. Um, yeah. But anyways. If we're betting on, on yourself, and... if you bet on yourself like Joshua Hua did, you have to yeah. back it up, and he has. Yeah, definitely. Um, if we cross the uh, Atlantic and uh, talk about uh, a captain of his team, it's Oliver Kapanen. Um, Matt, you have him graded uh, as a B minus on your. I'm a little bit harsher grader, uh, I think, because if you have C and Ds, you're going to hand them out. Uh, how I'm taught as a teacher. Um, I would probably grade him a C plus though, uh, which is more or less the same grade anyway. Um, he did exactly what he was expected to do. And I think 
it's important for for uh, people to understand and, and fans and listeners of this podcast to understand that he, even if he's leading Liga in under 20 scoring and whatnot, that's not his skill. His skill is doing everything correct all the time. And especially the defensive work, the face-off, uh, reading the place, etc., etc. Um, I didn't really see the leadership qualities that I would have liked in Oliver Kapanen, I was surprised he was picked as a as a center, as a captain, uh, but I was impressed with him doing all these small things. It makes him very very projectable, and for me, he projects very much like um, a secure, very good fourth line center in a way. Uh, talk about Lucas Vedemo. I think they are very similar in in their type of player. But it's a player that every coach loves to have because you know you put him out on the ice and he's not going to mess up. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I'll, I'll I'll let Jared go first on this one. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, for, for for me, you know, like you, you see him as the number one center, and you're like, oh, he's going to be like Logan Stankoven. Um, But no, it, it, it's. I think it's partially a testament to to the Finland team. Yeah. Um, but but at the same time, like he he did everything he had to do. He was, you know, killing penalties. He was playing well defensively. And, and I think that if you look at the way that a lot of the teams ran their benches, they really a lot of teams relied on guys who can play a full sixty minutes, both ends of the ice, right? Like you saw a lot of guys who are known for scoring who were 13 forwards, even though they were first-round picks or projected to be first-round picks uh, and and getting benched for, for a lot of times. So, and I think that with Kapanen, he's just a guy... I, I, I We already used the Lekkanen comparison, so I don't want to go to Lekkanen here, but, I, I mean, he's he's the, he's a very reliable, and I think Vedemo is a good example of that. Is He's kind of like... I always used to call Vedemo AHL Lekkanen, and and I think that that captain is is kind of similar in that regard, in that he's he's he doesn't have the high end of Lekkonen, but he but the floor, like you say, is very projectable, and and I think that before this season, it was kind of like, will he get a contract? Will he not get a contract? Uh, and I think that this season and the World Juniors uh, pretty much makes it clear that that he sh- he probably will get a contract from from the Canadians. Yeah, I don't doubt he gets he gets a contract. That's uh... That's a sure bet for me, to be honest. Yeah, uh, I mean, and it was even before the, the the World Juniors, so 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 I'm not struggling with that in many ways. But but yeah, as you say, the the, the uh, or as we all say, the the he is so projectable, and I think that's something that David San Louis has really drilled into our minds as well when we talk with him still, and and uh, when we talk among ourselves about players. How projectable are them? But, are they? But David Saint Louis was so incredibly wrong about Joshua Guas. So I mean, everything he says, <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta take it with a grain of salt. Now I hope he's listening, um, <laughs> David. J'ai un problème avec toi, mon cher. Elite Prospects has has really has really admitted they were wrong, though. Um, they 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 had a whole love fest for Joshua Guas in this in this tournament. Yeah, uh, and they they had several uh, several articles. We're like, what were we thinking? <laughs> Not ranking him um, for the draft, but but I think, like you mentioned, I think a lot of that is COVID made it really hard to project people 
plus the trade. Like, you know, when you get traded in your draft yeah. year, you have scouts that go to see you or go to see certain teams. And if you get traded at the wrong time, you just get missed, right? Like, like scouts aren't necessarily going to go travel around, like just, just, just to find like potential fifth round players. So I, I think that, you know, if, if you, you know, see him in a bad situation in St. John, you don't get to see him again in Sherbrooke. It, it, um, things like that can happen when, when you look at prospects. It's also and, a video, video scout. Yeah. So, yeah. so you look yeah. at, or, or video draft. So you look at what is projectable. And and he wasn't projectable at that year. Yeah, no. Yeah. I, I, he, and he needed to show himself, know, and he has. When you, you go back to projectable, right? So to kind of steer it back to, to cap it in there. Why did I give him a B minus, right? Like, I know, Pat, you're going a little bit harsher into the Cs. And I, I understand why you are, right? You, you watch him definitely more than I do during his pro uh, play. I mean, B minus for me was... He, he did what, you know, you kind of expect from him, but I, I expected more from, from a guy who's been playing pro hockey. And as you mentioned, leading the under 20 scoring in pro hockey in Finland, I, I really thought that he would be able to come up with a little bit more. Now, that being said, when you look at Finland scoring, they really didn't have a lot of scoring at all. Their top scorer was uh, Pavi Ranta at four points four points on team Canada would have been like seventh or eighth in team scoring. That's the top scoring in uh, on team Finland. So I think Finland as a whole was a little bit disappointing. Uh, I would have liked to see Kapanen drive the bus a little bit more for them. Um, I, I don't think he was bad, but a, a B minus for me again is like, sure. You, you played well, you were in the right spots. You skated well, you're definitely well positioned. Uh, what stuck out for me when I watched him play was that he seems to be in the right spot more often than not. Again, we go back to the Arturi Lekkinen comparison. I know we want everybody uh, that we draft to turn into Arturi Lekkinen. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Um, but it's similar to Lekkinen. You know, when you watch Kapanen, he's always in the right spot. It's just the, the, there wasn't that that extra oomph, that extra dynamic nature to his game that that would have been able to maybe push me up to a higher grading on him. But I agree with you 100%. Projectable. A lot of the things that he does are projectable. I could see him having a lot of success um, when he does get a contract with the Habs with the Laval Rocket. I could see him having a lot of success there. And I could see him uh, being one of those guys that ends up pushing his way on to like that first call-up role where uh, he eventually gets an audition with the Montreal Canadiens. And if he continues to do all those projectable things, if he continues to be well-positioned all the time, you know, he could find himself with a, a significant role with the Montreal Canadiens in the future. And, yeah, and, and just to just to close the loop on on all the Lekkinen comparisons, uh, in the 2015 World Juniors, when Lekkinen was captain of Team Finland, uh, he had one goal in five games, um, despite playing in, yeah. in the SHL in Finland. So, you know, <laughs> projection production in this tournament is not necessarily an indicator of of future <laughs> NHL success. Um, and uh, or lack so, yeah. of production is not necessarily a, an right. indicator of, of no success, right? Right, it's, exactly. It's exactly. the tournament. You, you take what you can from it, but, um, you know, I just, I, I ranked him a B minus because I, I, I wanted to see more. I, I think what's important when you look at this tournament is not necessarily production itself, but how they're trusted by their coaches. And I, and I think that that's almost mm. more important than, you know, taking into account goals, assists, things like that. Uh, I, I think that how they're used and how they're trusted by their coaches uh, is a better indicator of, of their value to the team uh, than, than just points alone. I can agree with that. But uh, and, and um, even if 
I mean, like C is an, I mean, you also have what A, B, C, D, E, and F, right? And F is a fail as, as a grading in school. We don't have E's here, I don't think. All right, yeah. yeah. So, so, so the system <laughs> is obviously different because I have an yeah. E as a passing grade for me. Um, so, so there is that uh, with how, how it works in relation to, to different things. But also C is a pretty good grade. B for me, mm. then you're top ten percent, and and so so or top fifteen percent. So so for me, Kafanen isn't there. He was on his team, but over the tournament, no, he was doing everything right, but nothing exceptional stood out really for me in his play, um, and and that was probably, you know, why why. Also, I watch him a lot. And, and I sort of expected this kind of tournament from him. So I don't see it as a fail. I see it more as a, yeah, this is what I expected. This is, you know, safe, sound, secure. And, and that's what I mm. get from it. Like, uh, and that's the kind of player he's going to be forever, I think. Um, we, we have maybe one of the hardest one. Uh, we're going to go around Europe here as well. Um, is Vincent Rohr. What a tough tournament for the poor Austrians. And obviously, oh, yeah. especially having Marco Kasper uh, in back in Sweden playing, not because uh, so he he just asked to not be participating in the tournament rather than uh, than and, and staying in Sweden preparing himself for for the men's tournament that will go in May, uh, which I totally understand. And looking at Austria and their development. You would have to assume that um, they would go down next year anyway, because Casper would not be there. It's 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 those poor teams in a way where you have where you have players that are or, or teams that are one team player or one player teams. That's how I should say it. Um, yeah, and and that makes a difference. For, for Austria, Rohr is that kind of player, and he shouldn't really be either. Um, I was again, I gave him a C. Um, I know that sounds harsh, but but now you understand my reasoning with with grades, and yeah, and it is what I expected. I expect him to to not be able to do much more with that kind of team as a backup. No, I. I, I agree with you, but I gave him a B plus uh, because I, I was impressed with the way he carried himself in that tournament on a team that was clearly overmatched. You know, it's kind of like it reminded me in a way of, of watching Cole Caulfield right now on the Montreal Canadiens, you know, <laughs> in games where the halves are getting absolutely dominated. And then, you know, every now, every now and then you see a display of skill and you go, oh, who's that? And guess who? It's number 22. I felt similar when I saw Austria play, like uh, even against Latvia, you know, you thought Latvia was the one matchup that they might be a little bit closer, but they looked very overmatched against Latvia. But then every now and then I would see just this display of skill. I'm like, ah, who's that? Oh, guess who? It's the captain. It's Rohr. Um, so I graded him at a B plus because I felt like the way that he operated on a team that was clearly overmatched in that tournament. Again, I'm not saying he's going to be Cole Caulfield, but it reminded me of that. It reminded me of what we've been seeing this season. So for me, giving him a C, it felt it felt too harsh. I wanted to give him a B plus because, again, uh, I think being in that situation, being on a team that was clearly overmatched in this tournament um, and doing what he did despite missing a game due to illness and maybe feeling some ill effects throughout the course of the tournament as well, um, I, I thought he did very well. I think... <clears throat> 
they'll have a much easier time next year playing against more appropriate competition. Uh, I do wonder if he's going to be made available for that, considering that they got moved down a division. Uh, I do assume that he's going to be back in junior next year. He is eligible for the tournament again. Um, I would think Ottawa allows him to go to that. I don't know why they would stop somebody from going just because their team got relegated, but um, you might see a lot more production out of him when his team is playing against teams that they can actually skate with, you know, uh, again, doing what he did on a team that was so overmatched, I, I think was worthy of something close to an A. So I gave him that B plus. The fact for me though, is that he didn't really stand out. I expected more from him in the games against Latvia. That's that's my yeah. Point. I mean, he, he check out that one goal that he scored though, right? Um, it was from a horrible angle. He kind of toe drags it a little bit. Just the fact that he was able to adjust his body at that speed to turn and put it on net uh, was was great. I mean, it, he got a deflection on the way, so it, it wasn't like you know a yeah, straight that, that's shot. A grading, he absolutely that's sniped grade, it. That's grading a a game or a moment in a game, not the whole tournament. No, I'm grading the whole tournament. I'm just saying, I'm just giving you an example from one game, right, right. against Latvia, because you mentioned you expected a little bit more out of him against Latvia. I mean, really, when I watched that Latvia game, I was like, what, what is anybody going to do? Like, other than a couple of displays of, of, of skill, how are you going to score when your team can't set up in the offensive zone? I mean, like you said, Roar is not going to be that guy who's uh, a one-man team. And I just don't think he was able to do that in this tournament if he was i would have given him an a plus right away no problem but again i look at that team and i look at who he is as a player i don't think he was ever going to be that guy that's going to go out and absolutely dominate and compensate for the fact that his team was so overmatched yeah i mean you look at his look at his uh game log in the tournament and it's, it's really hilarious so he missed the first game of illness plays the checks in in this first game of the tournament plays 19 minutes 55 seconds uh, two days later against Canada, 19 minutes and 20 seconds. Then against the Germans, he played 20, 27-26. <laughs> and then in the two games against Latvia, he played 23-31 and 27-16. And I, I I don't know if there's any ill effects. Obviously, he missed one game. I, I don't know if he was 100% for the rest of the tournament. But, you know, when you're playing almost 30 minutes a game as a forward, it, it kind of shows... <laughs> that your team is relying on you to do some things. And, you know, the, the 2022 draft for the Canadians has players that know what they are. And, and I, and I yeah. think that that's something that's unique about this, this draft class. And the odds are that some of them will not succeed, right? Like it, it's just normal that not everybody is going to succeed from the 2022 draft class. But if you look at the list of players that they drafted and you look at, you know, obviously Slavkovsky, Meshar, Beck, Hudson, a lot of them we're going to get to in this in this podcast. Rohr is, is one of them as well, obviously. Uh, Engstrom, you know, all of them. I would not bet against any of them. But I, even though the logic is some of them will fail, I, I just would not bet against anybody in this draft class because they all understand who they are so well. And, and you know you could add that the players who weren't even in this tournament, like Cedric Gaindon, and and I, and I think that that's something that's very going to be really interesting to watch, because it's been a while since the Canadians had a draft where you can't really, you know, say oh that guy's. I mean, there's always going to be some weird picks, 
but I think that in this class, especially the top picks that they had, it's just everyone just seems to understand what they are. And and it's it's gonna be really interesting to watch them going forward. And and Rohrer, you know, you you kind of wish that he had Casper because I think that that would have really helped him. Because I think that he's a good wingman. I don't think he's a guy who can carry a team on his own. Um similar to to when you had Denmark in those tournaments. And you know, they had the the Nikolai Ellers and um players like that, the Oliver Bjorkstrands. Um, but they had each other, <laughs> you know, it, it wasn't just Ehlers. It wasn't just Bjorkstrand. It was the two of them uh, and, and it brought them to success. And, and I think that, you know, even, even a team like Slovakia, it, it wasn't just, you know, Meshar and, and Nemec. It was, they, they had a bunch of guys who can step up. Right. And, and I think that that's something that's so important in a tournament like this, when you're looking to compete and it was clear that Austria just didn't have the depth. Um, and they didn't have the top end talent. Like, you know, if they have Marco Casper, they probably get by Latvia, or at least make it interesting. Um, but uh, I, I think that it's Marco Casper deciding not to go to the World Juniors because he's preparing for his H- SHL season and preparing for the Men's World Championships is as good an example of why Uri Slavkovsky didn't have to go to the World Juniors. And not to go too much on a tangent, but, you know, in terms of, you know, he's already played in the Olympics. He's already played in the men's worlds. You know, some players, despite their age, aren't junior players anymore. You you, you have Edvinson. You can add Edvinson to that in yeah. Sweden yeah, as well. Absolutely. You're going you, to send me on a tangent players. here, man. <laughs> yeah. I, anyway, that that's, you know, yes, he could have done well. He pro- You know, it would have been really interesting to see that Canada game of Slikowski was playing. I will say that. Um, but yeah, I, I think that there's certain guys that, that, that don't, you know, Rinsis Rohr is not going to be a number one center. He's not going to be a top six player in the NHL. And, and to have that guy lead your team is, is kind of hard. Similar to Finland and Kapanen, yep. right? Like if Kapanen is your number one center, you're going to have trouble and Finland had yeah. trouble. Um, so, so I think that, you know, it says more about the, but I mean, when you look at his game log and, you know, he had two games over 27 minutes, um, and you know that that kind of shows what what he was asked to do, and and dealing with an illness as well, um, you know, definitely made things uh, a, a little bit harder for him. I'm sure. Indeed, and we're going to take a quick break there for uh, a short message from our sponsors. The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki season two. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. Speak about Rohrer, and uh, let's cross the border into Slovakia from Austria and speak about uh, Philip Mashar, who Oof. a little bit, um, we didn't really know what to expect, or I didn't at least, going into the tournament. But uh, really good. One of the best players on that Slovakia team that uh, impressed, really. It, it might also say a, lot, a little bit more about um, the tournament as a whole, but uh, it's clear that Slovakia has a, has something big growing, and um, 
it's really impressive and and uh, he was one of the leaders of that team and um, yeah for me he's a clear b b whoa i gave him an a and honestly i was tempted to bump that up to an a plus i was very impressed like i, I wrote in the article i don't know like I, I wasn't sure about that pick when they made it towards the end of that round, right? I felt like I was like, oh, okay, so they drafted Slavkovsky's buddy. Um, wonder why. And I don't think I've had a player grow on me as fast as he has um, with what he did at camp and then what he's done at, with the Kitchener Rangers since being sent down. And then what he did at this tournament, man, he was the third most used forward in the tournament. He was playing almost 20 minutes a game. So similar to Rohrer, you know, a ridiculous workload for a forward, right? And then you have the 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 pièce de résistance, if you will, was his game against Canada. Man, that was a stunning game by the Slovakians. I didn't watch that. I'll be honest. They, with that. So, so I didn't watch that game man, because I was three a.m. in the morning. I was incredibly impressed by them. Um, obviously, their goaltender really held them in that game. It, it could have gotten ugly if not for that. But they just did not go away whatsoever. And his assist on the um, Meshar, that is, his assist on the game-tying goal was incredible, man. He comes out from behind the net, and he's staring down the point. Like, he's looking at the point, because a lot of their offense was coming from the point in the first place. They were similar to the checks that they were trying to throw everything back and get point shots. And you see Canada's defenders are, like, absolutely just trying to get in the lane to move and make sure that he can't go to the point. And then what does he do? He just quickly turns it over, throws it back into the slot, and then bam, it's 3-3. I mean, he played a magnificent tournament for me, and uh, I, I think a B is underselling how good he was. Um, you know, I, I know you're a little bit harsher, greater than I am, but I think an A is very appropriate here. I thought he was fantastic. Um, he was driving the offense uh, for the Slovaks. Uh, without him, they would have been in big trouble. And again, I, I hate to, to go back to this tangent that Jared almost sent me on before, but it makes me wonder. How good could they have been if Uri Slavkovsky was allowed to go to that tournament instead of playing fourth line minutes for the Montreal Canadiens? Um, I, I really think that could have even bumped him up further, and that might have gotten him that A plus out of me if he had Slavkovsky to to play off a little bit. I was very impressed. I felt like he did a good job, uh, you know, leading that team uh, in the absence of of their their main star player uh, under twenty. And uh, yeah, I, I felt like an A was appropriate to give him in this one. Very impressed. Can't wait to see him go back to uh, to the OHL and tear it up some more. Yeah, for me, you know, it was kind of a slow burn with Meshar, and I think the the obvious, like the what you want to see is you want to see a player just tear it up, and and Meshar, similar to Roarer and Captain, he's not a guy who you really see as as a guy who can lead the offense, and and on that top line, he's not necessarily that guy. But at the same time, he's a player who can do so much good things. And and Matt, you mentioned that assist. Like it, it, that that game against Canada was was just something that he's he's able to do. And and I, and I think that that's something that is going to make him uh, an NHL player going forward. Is just he has the ability to just make plays. And you know, six points in five games doesn't stick out and be like. Oh, he was amazing, but the context of of those points uh, really does make make a difference. Um, and you know, getting you know a, two two assists in in the shootout loss to to Switzerland, um, you know, getting the assist 
uh, against Canada was just one of those things where in a big moment, he stepped up and made a play. And, and I think that that's something that's, that's important. And, you know, for me, it was just kind of like, Oh, okay, this is, this is who he is. And then all of a sudden he makes a play like that against Canada. It's like, Oh, okay. That's who he is. And, and I think that that's, um, going to be interesting to watch. I think next year he'll be with the Laval Rocket all year. I don't think he's going to go back to junior again. I think it was a good decision to move him to you move into the OHL this year, but I I think next year he'll be ready, um, at least to play in the AHL. I don't think he's going to be necessarily fighting for an NHL spot, but but I think that you know he, he's he's shown he's shown that he's ready to to take a next step. Uh, I think. And I, I think he'll might push. want to keep him with. Juniors, because Dvorsky will be there, and we're going to draft Dvorsky. Well, they, they might send him to the World Juniors. They might send him to the World Juniors, but but I mean, in terms of the OHL or AHL, um, I, I think it'll be similar to, um, you know, Yurichek, um, and uh, uh, Brad Lambert, uh, Chaz Lucius, where he's playing in the AHL. But I, I think that he'll, you know, I think you definitely send Meshar to the to the World Juniors if he's in the AHL next year. But uh, I, I think. I think that, yeah, I think they're going to have a decision on their hands next year. Not now that you mention it, you know, I think Wes stands a chance to push for a roster spot. Owen Beck could push. Uh, Philip Meshar could push. You got quite a few young guys. There. Hey, people are penciling uh, in Haneman on the spot on, on their NHL roster as people well. Are, yeah, people are penciling in Haneman even. Like, there's going to be guys pushing. They're going to have a very interesting camp because whoever shows up and, and really performs could end up starting the year with Montreal. And it, it I depends. honestly, right now, if I had to pick right now, I have no idea who it's going to be, but I feel like somebody is going to surprise at that camp and they're going to end up a day one member of the Montreal Canadiens roster. And it could be Meshar because we all saw what he did at camp this year. He was one of the most impressive players. And it was kind of shocking for a lot of people that he did get sent down to junior. In hindsight, I think it was probably a good decision, but you know, he was one of the most impressive players uh, at, at that camp. And I think if he comes and brings that same energy uh, next year, he could k- kind of make a very difficult decision for the Habs brass on, on who they want to keep. I think a big, uh, it depends on how many veterans are still around, <laughs> because as you see mm. this year, there's, there's <laughs> not that much, there's not that much room for, uh, for, for young players to, to break into the lineup. Uh, well, unless you cut some of the dead weight, unless you're a defenseman, there, there wasn't much room for rookies um, yeah. on this roster. Um, but yeah, I, I think that if there's uh, an opening uh, for for young players, it's definitely going to be that that opportunity. Uh, the flip side to that is Laval is going to be really good. <laughs> oh yeah, I I could see Laval being quite good next year. Yeah, and uh, speak about defenders, Lane Hudson. Um, very active, very prominent uh, as as a driver of play again in um, uh, for for the U.S. Um, really smooth. Um, I think what I took away from this tournament is really again that his projectability is much better than I thought and hoped. I was really a big Hudson fan at the draft, but I think. It's easier to see that he can play at this level um, with some of the best in his age group and stand out to that degree. And uh, yeah, um, um, it might be because it's a favorite of mine, 
but uh, yeah. but I, I I keep saying those bees, and um, I'm I'm still unsure if he's going to be a Philip Broberg who's cheering it up in the AHL right now, or if he's going to become more of a Rasmus Dahlin that takes time to adjust into the NHL. But when he does, he can really really drive play. All these all these bees, Pat. I'm I'm wondering like what would it take to get an A out of you? Yeah. Um, I, I gave Hudson Joshua Roy. Joshua Roy is the answer. Joshua Roy is the the same thing, Matt. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to avoid joining any of your classes, man, because I feel like I'm probably just going to fail. Um, you know, there's very few I, that I gave him an A. My classes. I, I felt like the only thing that 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 I didn't like about his tournament was his ice time. I, I felt like they didn't use him enough. Uh, I if if I was coaching the U.S., I would have made him a focal point. Um, you, you look at what he was doing offensively, the way he operates at the offensive blue line, it's shades. And I say shades. I want to stress that of Kale McCarr, right? You, you can't watch that guy at the offensive blue line and tell me that he doesn't remind you a little bit of Kale McCarr. I'm not saying he's going to be Kale McCarr. I'm saying he's got some of that dog in him where he can absolutely embarrass people at the offensive blue line um, with the way that he skates. He's so shifty. I mean, there was a moment against Canada, actually, where it was Joshua Hua who was out on him. And he was trying to move around. And Hua was very, very, very good at blue line coverage. And even Hua was having a little bit of trouble uh, following uh, Lane Hudson at that offensive blue line. Um, obviously, he wasn't able to really get uh, get the U.S. over the hump against Canada there. But overall in that tournament, really offensively, I was super impressed. I was also impressed by him defensively as well. I felt like in his own zone, he was quite good. He struggled a little bit against the rush. Like rush defense was a bit of a problem for him. But once the puck was in his own zone, very well positioned, more physical than I expected him to be with his size. And um, really, I, I felt like an A is appropriate here. I'm, I'm excited to see what this kid can do in the future. Um, he's a guy where you probably expect him to have a couple of years in the NCAA at least. So I think he's going to be back at this tournament next year. And I think if nothing else, what he did at this tournament was he showed uh, USA hockey, like, listen, pay more attention to me, give me more minutes. And I think next year we'll see that. I think next year we'll see him probably uh, get a shot at, at running on the top pair and uh, like buckle up because the U S might be scary um, with him getting more minutes. Yeah, I, I think he's a guy right now you can pencil in as top defender at next year's tournament uh, just because of the way he plays. And I, I think the expectation was to see him have like a Romanov or a you know Cole Caulfield type tournament where he just kind of takes games over. And it's really hard for 18-year-old defensemen to do that at the World Juniors. You know, if you look at, you know, the only other... You know, there, there weren't very many underage defensemen who who really stepped up. You know, there's there was Sandin Pelika in, on on Sweden. And he's there even was... younger. Sorry, yeah, he's even, he's younger, even exactly. younger. Yeah, he's he's younger. Um, and then there's um, there was the Austrian uh, defender who um, is likely one of the top defenders in in this draft as well. So, especially when you're a team like the U.S you you want to play a little bit more conservative but but I think next year he's the guy that's going to be you know you, like you see the role that Luke Hughes played at this tournament uh, I think that's a role that Lane Hudson can step in on uh next year and I, I think that he's going to he's the type of guy that with a next year experience uh can have a really really good tournament next year I just think maybe you burn a, a little bit 
we all want these young players to succeed. Let's let's not forget that. And uh, you know, these playmakers, these skilled defenders, they're not always making it into the NHL in that role or or into to uh, that kind of of that it translates well into the NHL. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm holding back probably a little bit because of, of Norlinder as well, because what we learned from, from his development and how, how that stagnated uh, after a while. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, I'm I not saying that he won't succeed, and I, I'm eating up um, a couple of different projections I've had over the years. Um, so, so there is that. Um, but it leaves one of the players or two of the players to talk about. And, and let's go with the defender. Um, Matt, you have some uh, choice words for, uh, for a Swedish guy. I know you hate the Swedish and Russian defenders. So you can start with that. Well, look, Adam Engstrom, as we all know, was drafted ahead of Jordan Zume, who was one of my favorites. So I, I may always have a bone to pick with Engstrom. But I, honestly, um, what stood out for me from him was his skating. Uh, very smooth skater really like the way that that guy moves um and he he very rarely seems to be in the wrong position he just similar to Kappen and left a lot for to be desired for me so i gave him a b minus um i thought he was good just not as dominant as as, as maybe he could have been being a guy that's already playing pro hockey but i mean sweden as a whole pat what happened there man i mean you guys only beat germany one nothing you get smoked by canada and then you have that ridiculous crazy bronze medal game against the united states I found it incredibly hard to get a read on what was Sweden's identity as a team. Like you, you, you go into a game against Germany, I would expect Sweden to run over them nine, one, nine, nothing, something like that. But uh, that wasn't the case. So, I mean, I, I don't know. It was a weird tournament for Sweden overall. And I felt like <clears throat> Engstrom played well, but not well enough to get into that a territory for me. It's funny because he has more or less the same kind of points as Hudson. Yeah, but the, the, you, did you see any of that dynamic stuff that Hudson no, but can I, do? I know exactly what he was asked to do. He was asked to be the defensive shutdown defender. Something that he isn't his role really in the SHL either. And mm. we're going to say something. So what's your grade then? What's your grade? My grade is a B here, and it's a clear B. I think he was one of the better players on the whole of Team Sweden. Yeah, I, I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna side I'm gonna side with Pat here. Um, not not every player has to, you know, be a, that dynamic scorer. And and this is what I was going to a bit before when I was talking about your your role in the tournament is is almost as important as as what you do in production wise. And it was clear that he was the one defender that Sweden um, trusted. trusted trusted defensively. You know, yeah. final minute of the game against. Uh, against Finland, he was on the ice. That was an A plus move that he did. <laughs> the, the the one where he took the net off. Yeah, yeah in yeah. front of Kapanen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, like, I mean, he should like get that. an A just because of that move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, if Meshar is going to get A for that assist, right? Uh, no, but uh, in terms of you know, th that's that's just the way he he is, and and you know, you could argue that maybe Sweden should have played him more than they did. Um, Someone but, did on Twitter quite repeatedly. 
<laughs> was it you? Yeah, I might have been. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think that clearly he was a he was one of those players where, you know, you, you know, he doesn't have to run the power play. He doesn't have to, you know. But 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 I think that in in a situation where he's he's out there, um, I think that that's that's kind of what he does. Like a great skater who plays well defensively. You know, there there's a lot of players like that. You know, I don't want to make the comparison directly, but you know. Uh, a guy like Caden Gooley, great skater, plays well defensively. Uh, I'm not saying Engstrom will be will be that kind of player, but you know, there's there's a, a role for great skaters on defense, <laughs> and I think that that's you know that's his role. You know, he's not going to necessarily run a power play. He's not going to necessarily you know be a, a a Lane Hudson offensively. And ironically, uh, I think Lane Hudson's assist in the bronze medal game uh, came up came up against Engstrom when he was on the ice as well. Um, mm-hmm. But but in terms of, you know, his tournament, I, I would tend t- to to go towards Pat than, than Matt because, you know, yes, you would like to see a little bit more production. Uh, he didn't have any points in his last five games. But at the same time, he was that guy who was trusted. And, and that game against Finland, I, I think, was the one that stuck out for me. I think, and especially considering that, I can see where Matt's coming from. Uh, Engstrom was drafted as an offensive dry, uh, dry, uh, driven player, but the way he's worked in regular over this season is only more or less defense, defense, defense. Work on that, work on that. And it's incredible for me with all these players that that Sweden had. Um, and, and he is the guy, the one that hasn't really trusted his own defense a lot um, is the guy that Sweden trusts to run the defensive side of the side of, of the of the game, and um, just because I'm watching um, hockey on on the same time here, and and in the game before here with Prelanda, the uh, the expert said everything is going faster. Not they can't skate faster really, but they can make more plays at a faster pace. Mm. So. The, the the offensive players, the forwards, they are so much better. And and that means that the defenders will have to be equally as much better at skating and at at, at uh, puck control, at uh, hand-eye coordination, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And I think this is what I've seen from Engstrom. And and for me, uh it was clear that he was taken into as defensive security and to, to have him do that role as well as he did was incredible to me well you guys may have swayed me maybe maybe, maybe i'll agree with you pat and I'll, I'll bump him up to a b there i'll tell you this I'll, I'll say this for angstrom if i was ranking only his skating i'd give him an a plus love the way that guy skates um really you know we talk about projectability um, I, I can see why, you know, if you get a six foot two defenseman that moves that well, I can see why they were willing to go with that over or maybe more dynamic players in that third round, uh, because that projectability, like for sure, that's that's a pro stride on that kid. Um, uh, you know, well, he's already played pro. And, and yeah. And I mean, we say this in a little bit of, of hindsight in, in a way, sorry, um, that the. Uh, a lot of the Swedish players are playing pro hockey already. And, and yeah. it comes with pros and cons. Um, take a look at uh, Sandy Pelika, 
who I'm also struggling with. Is he a, a um, Rasmus Dahlin or is he a, a, a Broberg? I don't know. Uh, but he, he gets the chance to do the mistakes offensively. So you use him in the same way on the, in the World Junior Championship squad because he can do that in SHL. But on the other hand, you need to make sure that you have that responsibility. And, and the further the tournament went, the, the, uh, the more it was evident that the coaches put Engstrom in that situation all the time. Anyways, uh, we got one left and, and we joked maybe about, uh, uh, about uh, Owen Beckonen earlier, the, uh, the, earlier this summer. But uh, he's taken a step out of that shadow and uh, being called up is, is a huge step uh, into the tournament. Obviously, it was the first time you were allowed to, to bring in players into the tournament for injuries, something that I think is good. Obviously, I think it also had to do with the fact that COVID and the game was hosted in North America. Will it be equally accessible for players to come to Gothenburg next year? That's what I'm asking. Mm. For Europeans, well, teams, it will obviously yeah. be, be that, right? Well, teams brought extra players. Like the U.S. had extra players with them mm. the whole time. I think Germany did as well. Uh, a lot of the European countries had players um, around with them that they could call on if they needed to. Uh, is it is it feasible to do that every year? I don't know. Uh, you know, if a, if a player is playing in, in the CHL, it's a lot easier to be like, hey, uh, and every country or most countries have players who are in the CHL. So it's, it's easy to be like, hey, can you come <laughs> on this flight? Um, obviously, not every country has players in the SHL where they can get players to Gothenburg. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what the IIHF does with the roster. But you know, go, I'll start with Beck because I, I didn't think it was possible for a player to come in so late to have, you know, one minute in his first game and and just and then have the coaches be like yeah you know what he's better than a player we've had this whole time and, and just take a regular fourth line shift and it's it's kind of crazy but i i don't think that he had a bad shift i feel like every time he was on the ice something good happened and mm. and it's just it's 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 a i mentioned this a bit when you're talking about joshua Wah and the ability to adapt his role became fourth line winger and you see him forechecking, hitting guys, digging out pucks. That's not necessarily his game, but he knew what his role was oh. on this team, and and was able to to pull it off. And and I think that that's that you know, I I, I think Owen Beck is is going to be an absolute NHL player. Uh, I think that he has you know top six center potential. I I really do. And and the ability for him to come in and be like, yeah, you know what, I'm a I'm a fourth line grinder now, and and just embrace that role is 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 kind of hilarious to me, uh, and it also shows how how good and how smart he is. But um, he also has that skill, you know. He, he set up a goal against the Americans, and I I just think that he's, you know, th there's this, the the only reason he doesn't play in the World Juniors next year is because. He's in the NHL. <laughs> that's that's yeah. basically what it comes down to. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that have to happen between then. But yeah, I mean, uh, Owen Beck, um, you know, probably should have made the team to begin with. But I think that what he showed when he did join the team is is what everyone thought he would do.
Yeah. When we talk about bringing extra players to Sweden, I can tell you this, if Owen Beck's available for that tournament, he ain't going to be an extra player. He's going to be a regular roster guy next year. I mean, I gave him a B plus on the grade and I know that may sound a little bit weird. We joked about it before the podcast, right? You know, the guy barely played, how can you give him a B plus? But I felt like for what he was asked to do at this tournament, he did fantastic. Obviously comes in late, plays one minute in his first game, but in that minute he draws a penalty. And then what happens, as you mentioned, Jared starts taking a regular fourth line shift thereafter. So uh, again, I felt like for what he was asked to do, he did great. Like you said, every time he was on the ice, something good was happening for Canada. He was a positive impact player in the minutes that he was given. And as a result, I thought I felt like a B plus was what was fair in this case, because again, for what he was asked to do, he did it perfectly. There was, you, you can't really pick fault in any of the minutes that he did get. Um, and I think, but, but by that as, same, I, as, as I said, by like, that same logic, you should give as an example, uh, B plus to, to Kapan and B plus to Engstrom as well. Well, now I'm giving them both an F just because you said that, Pat, because um, uh, I'm, I'm going to be I'm going to be that much of a jerk here. Uh, but look, I mean, the, the, the thing with Beck that pushes it to a B plus for me instead of like when I was first looking at it and I was writing the article, I kind of had a B minus in there as a placeholder for him. And then I bumped him up to a B plus because I was sitting there thinking about it. And I'm like, listen, you know, it's not his fault that he didn't get to play early on in the tournament. It's not his fault that he didn't get the opportunity to earn even more minutes, right? If he was there from the beginning, I bet my next paycheck that this guy would have earned his way into top six minutes, similar to the way that Joshua Wad jumped from the third line to the top line. I think he would have jumped somewhere onto like the, the third or the second line uh, if he was there from the beginning, because you look at how well he fared in the minutes that he got. I mean, that uh, that goal that he set up against the U.S., uh, it, it was a really good play. He goes in on the forecheck, makes a really good read, perfect pass down low, comes back out, goal. Big goal for Canada as well. Um, and they really struggled to get secondary scoring outside of that top line that was really driving the bus for them. So Owen Beck, again, I, I really think that, you know, if he had more time with that team, I think he would have earned an even higher grade for me because of how he played and how he earned more minutes from them throughout the course of time. Again, I really don't think if, if he's available next year for the tournament, I don't think there's any universe where he's not an immediate day one roster player. And on top of that, I think he'd probably be slotting very comfortably into a top six center role with that team next year for Canada and Sweden. Um, it should be interesting to see. Again, he's another guy that, uh, that I've got as potentially pushing for a roster spot next year. So if that happens, you know, he, he might not be available for Canada at all. Uh, so they might miss their opportunity to have him there. But if he's available, uh, I think they'll bring him again. And I think we'll see a much more expanded role for him uh, with that team in Sweden. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll, maybe, you know what, maybe I'll fly to Sweden next year, Pat, and we can argue about this face-to-face. Oh, well, um, the, the rooms at Kassab Excel is, is filling up quite nicely with the hockey um, uh, or guests from the pod, actually. So uh, we'll see if you if you be able to fit in, Matt. Uh, you've been listening to Absent Minded, the World Junior Championship edition. It was the last podcast with that. Next time, we're going to be back with our regular schedule. Be sure to follow the new feature, uh, Prospect Minded as well, that uh, started with Elmel Heinemann, who just had a great assist on the first goal for Lexand in uh, today's game. Thank you all for listening. Please subscribe. Don't miss any of the shows. Thank you, Jared. Thank you, Matt. 